special bonus episode of the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this bonus episode, I'm joined by dermatologist Dr. Ryan DeCruz, who's here to answer the questions you submitted on dry, stressed and irritated skin. I have honestly never before received so many questions on one very specific topic in such a short period of time. We are stressed and in turn, our skin is stressed. So many listeners and GlowJournal.com readers have asked me what is causing their recent flare-ups of dry skin and irritation. And as you know, I'm an educated consumer and not an expert, so true to form, I've passed your questions on to a qualified skin expert, Dr. Ryan DeCruz. In the name of full disclosure, this episode is sponsored by CeraVe. However, as per all of my expert interviews, the doctor is never here to push specific brands and products. For this reason, you'll hear Dr. DeCruz recommend specific ingredients rather than products and offer more general advice, giving you the tools you need to make your own educated purchasing decisions. If you are suffering from what has been dubbed as isolation skin, I firstly want you to know that you are not alone. As you'll hear in this interview, many of the skin concerns a lot of you are working through right now are caused by stress. And while we can't control the state of the world right now, there are steps that we can take through our topical skincare to help restore that calm and that balance to our skin. On a personal note, given that the range has been developed with dermatologists, I do use CeraVe myself and have repeatedly come back to it over the last 12 months whenever I've overdone it on active ingredients, as I tend to do, and sensitize my skin, and when my skin is looking and feeling a little bit stressed. Although a large part of my job is to trial new products, I do have a roster of products that I consider my staples, so products that I know my skin loves and that I can use to kind of reset and restore balance to my skin in between trials. And for me, CeraVe products are at the core of that roster. I took to Instagram recently to collate your skin questions. And in this episode, Dr. Ryan discusses the effects of stress on the skin, how we can avoid the irritation brought on by increased hand washing, the skincare ingredients we should all be looking for, and the ingredients we should avoid. So I have been receiving so many questions about dry and irritated skin of late, so I'm thrilled that we've got an expert to answer them for us. To start with, what is it that causes the skin to become dry? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think the most important thing to to realise is that there are many reasons, not just one. Mm -hmm. So we're all human. We're all different people. We've all got our own genetic makeup. Some of us will have the genes that tell our skin to be on the drier side. Others will be more combination and some will be towards oily. It comes down to what we call the skin barrier. Mm -hmm. And the skin barrier is this buzzword that we're, we're all talking about at the moment because it is essentially the likening of a skin to a brick wall. Right. Like the uh, bricks of a house, your brick wall is only as good as the cement that keeps those bricks together. Mm -hmm. And it's our genes that determine how good or not our cement is. The cement in the skin is made up of a whole lot of different chemicals. And these are in, some of these are cholesterol, something called sterols, um, mm -hmm. fatty acids. So it's a, quite a combination. It's quite a unique mix of chem uh, chemicals that make the cement. 
If for genetic reasons, our cement isn't quite good, our skin cells separate out. So the, the cement sort of breaks down mm-hmm. and through these gaps between the skin cells, we lose moisture. Right. So it sort of opens up our, our skin and through these gaps, we lose moisture constantly on a daily basis. Even on a day like today where it's not particularly hot, we're just evaporating water from our skin. So this causes dehydration of the skin. Mm-hmm. Add into that the fact that we live here in, in Melbourne, Australia, it's an incredibly dry climate as it is. So our the yes. humidity levels, yeah, are much mm. lower than they are in, say, beautiful Queensland where, mm-hmm. you know, you go there and already our skin is, is much happier. Yeah. Because of that gradient. So we're actually losing moisture from our skin, trying to sort of almost correct the environment, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So that's what our body is trying to do. So environmental factors such as lack of humidity and dryness, particularly over winter, will only aggravate pre-existing genetic tendency towards dry skin. Mm-hmm. Heading into winter and particularly now in isolation, we're indoors all the time. Isolation skin is a real thing. (laughs) It is a real thing. It would be called ISO skin in 2020, I'm (laughs) sure. And it's it's the fact that now as well, we're sort of starting to crank up our heaters a little bit more, Mm -hmm. wearing more layers, all of that increases body temperature. We're going to lose more water and uh, through transepidermal evaporation or water loss as well. Right. So it's a combination of genes as well as environmental factors. And when they come together, that's when we really notice that the skin dries out. Mm-hmm. Coming back to this like, concept of our genetic makeup. So when we're thinking about the cement that holds our skin cells together, there are a few key things that we, we need in that cement. Mm-hmm. Um, water doesn't just float around by itself. It's actually held by various molecules. One of those molecules is called hyaluronic acid. So a yes. lot of people will be familiar with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another key molecule that helps keep moisture within our skin cells are called ceramides. Mm-hmm. So they're two of the most well-researched and evidence-based chemicals that we need in our skin to help our cement stay uh, well, you know, together and mm-hmm. stuck together, which then prevents the drying out of skin further. I'm going to grill you on those two shortly because they're two of my favourite things. Is there a difference between dry skin and dehydrated skin? That's been something I'm getting asked about a lot. Uh, no, I think it's semantics really. I think yeah. dehydration means lack of water mm-hmm. and dry skin is also lack of water. I think perhaps if you were to be really picky, you might say that dry skin is something that you you see and touch and feel. It's more right. of a descriptive term. So if someone presents with dry skin, they may present with symptoms such as they're itchy, they're sensitive, the skin is dull and flaky, okay. maybe even slightly red. So perhaps that's what some people, when they say, oh, look, I've got dry skin, whereas dehydration, if, if you want to... Uh, break it down may be perceived as some people uh, by just a general lack of water flowing Mm -hmm. around and they might actually use that word even when they're feeling thirsty as well as when they and they think oh I feel thirsty my skin is also feeling thirsty and it's kind of you know mix the two together but as far as I'm concerned they're they're one and the same sure is there a way that we could differentiate you've mentioned a couple of the sort of symptoms there yeah is there a way we could differentiate between kind of general dryness and dehydration if there's you know to classify it as mm-hmm. one thing or more serious skin conditions how how do we kind of go okay we need to take this up a notch yeah that's a really good question so the way i i sort of analyze it is that dry skin forms the basis of a lot of different skin conditions so people mm-hmm. might have it as a starting problem so they may say oh look my skin's just flaky and slightly dull and I just don't like the way it feels I also feel slightly tight Mm -hmm. and slightly uncomfortable now 
that may be something that they've just lived with for several months to years and they sort of cope with it. Maybe they've been, they use their common sense and apply a good moisturiser and use a good soap-free cleanser. Yeah. Um, but it's when you're doing those things, applying a good moisturiser and a soap-free cleanser and your skin's not getting better. In fact, your symptoms are deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Classic symptoms would include the symptom of itch, we use the medical word pruritus. That's just ah. another fancy way of saying itch. Oh, I love a fancy way of saying just about anything. So very <laughs> That's happy right. With that. And um, pinkness, again, we use the word erythema. So mm-hmm. pruritus and erythema, both itch and redness, uh, may be signs of an skin condition. And mm-hmm. that's when it might not be re- uh, responding simply to the general measures, such as soap-free washes and moisturisers. Uh-huh. So when you feel starting to feel, gosh, this is just not normal for me, my, my skin is very exceptionally sensitive despite using good products, um, I'm starting to feel very self-conscious. Um, starting to feel down about it or, again, interrupting your daily activity or sleep, that's when alarm bells should ring to say, hang on, this is not just dry skin. This, there's something else could be going on and that's mm-hmm. when I'd seek medical attention. Okay, that's really good advice. And that is that the, um, like the self-conscious part of it. That's, it's a real thing. Huge. You've mentioned the skin barrier and how yep. important that is. What can we do to strengthen our skin's barrier? Yeah, great question. So the skin barrier is something that requires a lot of respect and that's that's what I, mm. what I sort of talk about. And I think that the most important thing to realise is that it's not just skin deep. It actually starts with things like our diet and ah. our mental state. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds a bit strange. Like how could what we're eating or how we're just thinking and our, you know, our level of consciousness actually relate to the skin, but it certainly does in terms of inflammation. So we'll start with diet. Mm-hmm. The, the most important thing to, to remember is that there isn't a specific diet that people can, can consume that will help the skin barrier or eczema, psoriasis or acne. It's actually about general sensible things to eat. For example, foods that are high in antioxidants, mm-hmm. uh, our green leafy vegetables, lots of fresh fruit and, and vegetables that are high in fibre because all of these contain natural minerals and vitamins that then help directly facilitate cell uh, activity and, and the, the sure. skin development. Drinking plenty of water, of mm-hmm. course, is, is critical. And we know that, and that's been really proven time and time again, that actually when we are literally dehydrated, we're going to feel uh, more desire to uh, to drink water and mm-hmm. that will translate to indirectly to supporting our, our cell structure. Right. Both internally and externally. So once we've got, you know, a good, clean, healthy diet, and that doesn't mean you can't have the, you know, the high GI for, you know, in special times, you mm. know, your, your confectionery or, or certain, you know, cheat foods now and again. But generally, if we can keep our clean, our diet as clean as possible, we are going to see improvement in our skin. And that's just a mm. fact. The mental state actually is really important to me because I think the way that people feel uh, up here in our heads and in our hearts actually translates to how we then respond to our skin as yeah. well and how we're going to interact with with other people. So um, I think stress, you know, is a, is a really common trigger. The big one for me, that is, that's my tell. Exactly. I act very calm yep. and then, yeah, the second my skin starts to show signs of something, yep. it's when I know I need to kind of take a breather. Absolutely. And we know that from a biological point of view, mm. we have something called the stress response. We have increased cortisol, so increased stress hormones mm-hmm. floating around our body and that directly will trigger things like acne. We know that people's eczema will get worse. We know mm. that the psoriasis will get worse. And, again, it all comes down to 
loss of water or evaporation of water from our skin. Yeah. That's one of the, the first things that will happen and inflammation that will, will be stirred up as well. Mm-hmm. So once we've got those, you know, the more dietary measures under control, we're trying as much as possible to, to maintain a, a well-balanced sort of mental state. It comes down to what we're actually applying to our skin. Right. And this is where there's a big Pandora's box because, as you know, there are thousands to millions of different products out there oh, that people can choose yeah, from. Yeah, it can be intimidating. Hugely intimidating and hugely expensive as well. Mm. And this is my big bugbear about, I think, the cosmetic industry is in that a lot of what patients are uh, sold uh, is now actually what they're paying for is a lot of fancy marketing. Yep. And what they're not really paying for is truly evidence-based active ingredients that we know makes a genuine difference. Mm-hmm. So I think the first step is about having a good soap-free cleanser and that's something that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So soap, I think, is is a significant aggravator of dry skin conditions mm-hmm. uh, and that's because soap, soaps contain surfactants so they just break down fat. Yep. Yep, that's what they do. They break down fat in order for water molecules to come into closer contact with the skin surface and take away dirt, grime, germs, etc. Mm-hmm. So they have developed over the last uh, 20 years a lot of soap products which can take which contain synthetic detergents Mm -hmm. and synthetic detergents have been proven not to break down the skin barrier anywhere as much as true soaps right okay so using a well very there are lots of different names for these so soap free cleansers uh, soap free washers uh, synthetic detergents uh, cleansers in general or gentle cleansers Mm -hmm. uh, are all of these synonyms for soap free products and that's what we should be washing not only our face but also our body within the shower or in our bathroom Mm -hmm. Um, again, we can actually supplement soap-free cleansers with hydrating agents, for example, ceramides, which is something I mentioned yes. earlier. So when you have uh, this the chemical that we know helps the skin hold water and you actually put it in the detergent mm-hmm. that you're using, you're actually going to counteract a lot of the, the harmful effects of any detergent by actually promoting water, uh, promoting the skin to hold moisture better. Right. So keeping our showers and our cleansing time short, so not having these long, hot, luxurious baths or showers, which are, again, are what a lot of people like to do over the winter months. Great in theory, not great in practice. Absolutely. That's that's really important. You know, Mm. the skin doesn't like to be overheated. No. And we know that acne, rosacea eczema psoriasis will and just simply dry skin will be much worse if people are having hot showers uh, and you know ones that are more than five to six minutes it's just actually opening up uh the the pores to actually um, lose more moisture so keeping our showers showers nice and short having uh, the soap free cleansers is the first step right I then like to use a good moisturiser immediately after the cleansing process. Okay. Okay, because that's when the pores are going to be the most dilated. Mm-hmm. I use that word dilated to mean opened up. Yeah. Now, our pores are generally always open. There are, there are openings onto our skin for, for our oil to come out and for the hair follicles to come out. So our pores are always open. The question is how large are they or how mm-hmm. small are they? And that depends on temperature regulations and genes. So they're going to be open, more open when they're warmed up, when the skin is warmed up. And that's the best time to then replenish moisture through a mm-hmm. good moisturiser. We could have another, you know, week-long discussion really about, well, what is the best moisturiser? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I think the principles for me are the ones that uh, contain ceramides because, yeah. again, we know that this is a clear building block of the skin. One that are free from fragrances. 
Very important. Really important. Mm-hmm. And I, we can talk about that in a moment. The ones that actually don't contain a lot of preservatives. Okay. Yeah. So preservatives and fragrances have been proven to actually potentially cause a lot of skin problems. Mm-hmm. All right. They're the, they're the things in products that people can develop allergies to. Right. And so you could be using the same product, let's say for five years, and suddenly your skin says, hey, I don't like that particular ingredient anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. And you actually develop an allergic reaction to it. And what is it in these products? It's generally the preservatives and the fragrances. So preservatives are what keep the product on the shelf life for longer. Mm-hmm. They're completely they're different type of preservatives compared to food preservatives, which people have often heard about and worry about. Um, yeah, and things that smell really heavily. So I, I have a. It's really common for patients to come to me and say, "Oh, I'm using all these natural products." Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yep. This, this I am very familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> this, this whole concept of natural to me actually represents what we call botanical. So things yes. that will smell like, um, say, you know, pine or yeah. aloe vera or uh, lots of different flowers. Some essential oil blend in there that we're just... Exactly. And I really on. have a big problem with mm. that because I think it's actually duping uh, the customer. Greenwashing. Because it is. Mm. It's really trying to convince them that their product, because it contains all those botanicals, are going to cause less problems and be more beneficial. And it's just not always the case. Mm-hmm. In fact, in some cases, it is more harmful. Yeah. So I'm a really big one about that. But yeah, so as long as the the, the moisturising cream doesn't contain all of these extraneous, um, really, ingredients that don't can have a good evidence base, I like it to be really simple. Mm-hmm. In terms of the thickness of the moisturiser, I think that is slightly individual preference. Right. I prefer creams and balms in general mm-hmm. over lotions. So lotions are lighter yeah. and contain a higher water content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're wanting to, I guess, trap in as much moisture and hold it in the skin, you want a cream or a balm. Sure. So th- that's the sort of the hierarchy, if you like. Mm-hmm. And I like products that then will sink into the skin, don't leave the patient or the client feeling particularly greasy because that's a textural thing that people don't like. Yeah. They like to feel that the skin has a nice sort of matte finish mm-hmm. uh, and that doesn't, and that you can re- happily reapply, you know, twice a day. They're sort of my key, my key criteria, I guess, for a good uh, moisturizer. Mm. And I think if you've got those four factors, so diet, water, soap, free cleanser and good moisturizer, that's the, a very convoluted answer to your question. <laughs> uh, what are the things we can do to strengthen our skin barrier? Yeah, no, I understand that. I, um, I'm glad you mentioned about how people can, say, use the same thing for five years and then yep. suddenly their skin changes and says, no, I don't want this anymore. Yep. Because I think this ties in to a question that I had from a few listeners who wrote in saying they had, say, dry, irritated skin when they were younger, went through their teens, early adult life with normal skin, in inverted commas, whatever normal means, and then recently those irritations have flared up again. So you've touched on a few triggers. You've touched on how we can develop an allergy. I imagine there's countless things that could cause that. Yeah, look, what... What your listeners have um, asked you about is something I see every day in clinical practice and it's absolutely ah. true. So this actually reflects more of our genetic and hormonal changes over over time okay. and age. So when we are young and our, our skin barrier is, uh, I guess, new, we're not subjected to the same hormonal fluctuation, say prepubertally, that you do when you're a teenager or in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. So hormones 
from a skin point of view when you're younger or in that age group will actually trigger more oil production. Right. Because if you think about when you generally get acne, it's when you're a teenager yeah, or when you're Yeah, such 20s. a fun time for the skin. Exactly. <laughs> so sort of ironically, when you're, when you're really young and you don't have as much oil floating around, that's when you're going to feel slightly drier and, mm-hmm. and patients will say, yeah, I had eczema or dry skin when I was at primary school and maybe early secondary school, but then it really actually improved a lot. That's That just reflects the fact that our oil glands start to work more mm-hmm. and I guess counteract that dryness. Yeah. Then as we sort of leave those uh, teen and, and 20 year, uh, age group, then our oil glands start to calm down again and tone down again and then our pre-existing dry skin can come out again does that make sense it does it does and i think that's important too because some people will perhaps go to a dermatologist or a skin specialist once and then for the rest of their life they're saying oh no no no, but i've got insert skin type here and then they go to purchase their skincare and they're thinking no 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 but the dermatologist said this is my skin yep. type, but that can change. Definitely. So, yes, your skin as a, a lady in mid-20s compared to a lady in her mid-50s can mm. be vastly different because, again, when, when we're approaching sort of perimenopausally or postmenopausally, we're going to see an aggravation of dry skin, not because so much of oil gland activity or lack thereof, but actually because of estrogen changes and mm. the fact that estrogen directly will um, plump up the skin and cause greater... Uh, moisturizing of the skin and then as those estrogen levels drop our skin then dries out again Mm -hmm. so yeah different no the skin definitely changes with age with hormonal fluctuations as well so you have to tailor the skincare and the advice that you're giving uh, to a certain patient at various time points Mm. in their life and then it's just learning your own skin as well i had a lot of people write to me talking about how they had really dry, irritated skin around the lips and the eyes. Now, these are obviously quite delicate areas. Would we be treating them differently to the way we'd be treating the rest of the skin on the face? Yeah, definitely. I think we should start with the eyes. So the eyes are actually in the eyelids. Uh, one of the most common sites for skin irritation. Mm -hmm. And this is because the eyelids are very, very thin. Right. So the thinner the skin the more sensitive it is and the more likely it is to show signs of skin trauma, if you will, mm-hmm. before other parts of the face. Yeah. Eyelid skin, weirdly, will be quite commonly aggravated by your shampoo and conditioner. Okay. Yep. So this yeah. is something that a lot of people don't realise. Again, they'll be using an expensive brand because mm-hmm. they say, oh, you know, I, I buy – the common statement is, oh, I buy really good products or I, I my, this is stocked at my hairdressers and, you know, it's X number mm. of dollars and they really told me I should buy it because it's excellent. The word good has mm. <laughs> yeah. so much I, in I there. I use good products. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And they're really convinced. And when I suggest to them and or I ask them what are they using, I look at their ingredients on the back, you know, the, written in that minute writing yep. on the label and I analyse it. It's chock full of fragrances, preservatives, foaming agents, all things that can irritate the skin Mm -hmm. and where they see that irritation is not necessarily in their scalp because the scalp is quite thick right but actually on their eyelids because in the shower it washes down over their face and triggers eyelid dermatitis this has never occurred to me yeah so it's it's patients are a bit stunned when i say Mm. so well actually what are you using because i go through a list tell me everything that you apply to your face your cleanser your moisturizer makeup toner what what have you and and then i finally get to the shampoo and conditioner and invariably that contains the ingredient yeah. that I'm suspicious of. That's so interesting. Yeah. So the yeah the eyelids are and they are because they are so thin need lots of good moisturizer 
Um, I don't necessarily differentiate between the moisturiser for eyelids versus the moisturiser for the face. I I think there are a lot of companies that specifically produce eye creams. And I'm a little bit dubious as to how mm. how true it is that those eye creams are that much better than their their moisturizer. I think it is a bit of fancy marketing, if I'm to be quite honest. There's, you are not the first person on this podcast to say that, yeah. so it's so, a theme. Yeah, so I think you know, good moisturizer is really important for the, for the eyelids, and in, because it is so thin, it can definitely take a, a bit longer to repair that skin barrier. The lips are slightly different though, and and funnily enough, the lip skin is similar to nipple skin, which is which is quite funny. Yes. So people who develop nipple dermatitis um, or eczema will quite commonly say, "Look, my my lips are also quite severe." Mm. It is a different type of skin, which I consider differently to the eyelids. I'm it's thicker, yeah. and I'm probably slightly more aggressive with what I would prescribe for lip problems. But the commonality is that people will have loads of different lip balms that they've tried. Yeah. Okay. Just like they've had loads of different eye products that they've tried. And the problem with lip products such as lip balms, chapsticks, pawpaws, etc., is that they can also trigger allergy. Yep. Right. And the lips can, although it's more rare, they can actually react to dietary triggers as well. Okay. Yeah, it's less common, but it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Where people will be consuming, say, nickel, for example. They may be allergic to nickel and they'll have a really high nickel diet Mm -hmm. that's aggravating their lips. Uh, But similar to what I mentioned earlier about the development of allergies many years down the track, you could be using the same lip balm or even lipstick. Yeah. And have been using the same product, the same colour or shade for X number of years and suddenly develop a reaction to Mm -hmm. it. So I'm just wary of what people are putting on their lips. The one thing that has been proven to really be completely um, inert, which means you won't react to it, would be simple p- petroleum jelly, so Vaseline. Yeah. It's obviously not a lovely thing to use long term, <laughs> um, but when people are super, super sensitive, I really strip their treatment bare and to say all I want you to use is petroleum jelly for the next, say, two, three weeks, mm-hmm. and then let's reassess. So, yeah, lips, I, I do differentiate from the eyelids, but they're just a special site, I guess. So they'll present with... Um, symptoms more commonly than the rest of the face Mm -hmm. while we're on treating specific areas i had a lot as you can imagine a lot of people writing in to talk about their hands everyone is washing their hands more they're sanitizing it's great but dryness, irritation, Absolutely. that is where it is happening. Yeah. Would we be treating the hands differently to the way we would treat the face or perhaps the rest of the body? Well, I think the key difference is the number of times we're exposing the hands to both water and detergents yeah. as a result of the hand washing process, mm-hmm. right? So we're, de- we're not washing our faces anywhere like the number no. of times we're washing our hands given what's going on in the, in the yeah. world at the moment. And this is something that I'm really glad you've asked about because there's a, there is misinformation and it's probably accidental by the government and in mm-hmm. a lot of authorities talking about hand washing with soap. Uh-huh. So as a dermatologist, yes, I recognise that soap will uh, enable us to get rid of germs, bacteria, viruses uh, from our skin better than water alone. However, what I would like my patients and the general community to know is that you can use soap-free cleansers and soap-free mm. washes are as good as using true soap. All right. right. So you do not have to use soap. You can use a soap-free cleanser. In mm-hmm. fact, the research has shown that it's the 20 seconds of running water 
over the hands mm-hmm. with the cleanser that is doing the work. It's not just the soap. It is actually the water as well. Uh-huh. So, That's why I'm sitting there singing happy birthday to myself. As exactly. Well. <laughs> yeah, as, as we all are. And it's, it's mm. excellent that people are taking this really seriously. And I'm seeing it every day. People are coming in with really dry skin on their hands. And I can you know say to them, well, clearly you're, you're following the directions. Yeah. You're washing your hands, which is excellent. And I'm not in any way criticizing that. It's just that you don't have to use soap, soap-free cleansers. Mm. And there's many different products out there uh, that are are very good uh, uh, can be used to uh, substitute okay Mm -hmm. so it's a soap-free substitute now yes it is true that cleansing your hands with a soap-free substitute and water is better than the alcohol-free hand gel yeah but the alcohol-free hand gel or the um, the antibacterial agents are also actually serve a really important role mm-hmm. because what they're going to do is kill off a lot of viruses and bacteria that exist on the skin. And yeah. if your hands aren't visibly uh, soiled, using those sorts of products are good. The issue is that they sting like buggery when you've got dry, chapped hands. I did not realise yeah. how many open little cuts and scratches exactly. I had on my hands. I couldn't see them and now... Exactly. I had no idea. So the most important thing that I think is the piece of advice that is lacking is the need for a good hand moisturiser. Yes. So my advice is that whenever you cleanse your hands for 20 seconds using a soap-free wash, Mm -hmm. you immediately follow it up with the use of a good hand cream, hand moisturiser. And you will see by doing that, so let's say you're washing your hands 10 times a day, that means you're applying hand cream no less than 10 times a day. There you right. go. That's it. Has to be. It goes hand, hand in hand. Pardon the pun, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it, it's critical. Otherwise, our hands and we can't live without our hands. Like we no. use our hands for every aspect of our life: work, relationships, cooking, everything at yeah. home. Right. So once our hands start, we we are, we are literally destroying the skin barrier of our hands every time we wash them mm. using so, straight soap. Yeah. So I, I I really want to communicate how important it is to use a soap-free cleanser and follow it up immediately with a hand moisturiser. You've touched on a few of the ingredients that yep. we should be looking for, one yep. of those being ceramides, yep. which we love. Can we go into a little bit more detail on ceramides? Yep. What are they? What are they doing for the skin? Why do we love them so much? Yeah, so ceramides are the ingredients that float around in between skin cells and and within skin cells. So they're yep. both actually within the cement that we mentioned, but they actually are contained intracellularly, so within the, the bricks of the house, not just the cement. And what they do is that they facilitate water and the holding of water better within the skin cell Mm -hmm. and within the cement. Amazing. So our bodies naturally produce ceramides. This is not something that is artificial or manufactured. Mm -hmm. This is a chemical and there are actually six different types of ceramides uh, at a minimum. And what they do is they help maintain hydration levels of our skin. It is our genetics that determine how good or not we are at producing ceramides. Okay. So people who have suffer from eczema and psoriasis when they've had their skin analysed, they're significantly lower in certain types of ceramides than people who have normal uh, or, or oily skin. Mm-hmm. So the ceramides help uh, trap the water in together with a whole lot of other free fatty acids, cholesterols and sterols, and that keeps that cement that I referred to earlier as healthy as possible to hold our skin cells together. Okay. So we want to work some ceramides into our skincare routine. Yeah. Is there an optimal way to do that? Say 
a moisturizing cream versus a serum or what's the best way to go yeah. about it? Well, it's, it's actually about the technology that the cream has to release the ceramides because it's okay. you're 100% right. It's not as just good enough to say, oh, yeah, we've, we've put some ceramides in our moisturizing ta-da. cream. In here. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Ta-da. It's, it's not magic. It actually comes down to science. So particularly there's a particular product. So CeraVe is one of my favorites for this exact reason. Mm. It actually packages the ceramide so that in these little vesicles that are released in a nice slow manner at different layers of the skin. Ah. So not just the surface. It's not just that you're putting ceramides on the very outermost of the skin, uh, but it actually absorbs deep into the skin. It's taken up by the cell. So it literally mm-hmm. goes from the cement into the little skin cell and is then released back into the skin's environment uh, through, in the, through this particular type of emulsion that has been sort of patented, I believe. So it's about how it's um, delivered to the skin as much yeah. as how much ceramide is you putting on the skin. Amazing. Does pairing ceramides with other ingredients affect the efficacy of the ceramides or like do they work best on their own? What's the best way to... Yeah, best way of thinking about it is probably an additive effect or a complementary effect. Okay. So um, you would have heard about hyaluronic acid as well. Yes. Yeah, we're going to jump into that in one moment. Yeah, Mm. so well, I think that you you sort of should talk about the two almost simultaneously. Great. Now, hyaluronic acid, the way that I uh, explain it, is it's like a dry sponge. Okay? Yes. It will suck water to it and it holds that water. Mm. And when it holds the water, just like a sponge, it increases in volume. So, you know, a dry sponge will be small, a wet sponge will be much bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the same concept with hyaluronic acid. So when it doesn't have water molecules attached to it, it's smaller. It's still a large mo- molecule, but it's yeah. smaller. And when it has water, it actually gets larger and that will plump huh. up the skin. So the ceramides will then work in a complementary manner of drawing in that water and releasing it in a controlled fashion. So the two work hand in hand. This is where I wish there was a visual component to this copy because my whole face just lit up as you were saying that. Yes. I'm obsessed with hyaluronic acid and everyone says, oh, what do you love so much about it? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I just (laughs) just do. So now I've got uh, an analogy to use. And and the the concept is that... uh, Previously, hyaluronic acid, it's, it's this really huge, what we call, it's measured in kilodalton. So it's a very large molecule. Okay. okay. And so large molecules, when you just shove it in a moisturizing cream or a serum and you put it on the skin, it actually doesn't penetrate into yeah, the skin at all. Yeah, it just sits there. It just sits there. Yeah. So it might, what it does, if anything, is it gives this very transient and temporary look of plumping of the skin. It's mm. like so people go, oh, yeah, it's lovely. This and then, is great. Yeah, exactly. Maybe 20 minutes later, their skin starts to sort of go back to normal. Yeah. The difference is when products contain something called sodium hyaluronate. Now, sodium hyaluronate Mm -hmm. is a little salt. So think of it like a little crystal. It's a smaller version of um, hyaluronic acid that can then penetrate deeper into the skin. And by, by this salt form of it, it actually is more efficacious. It's literally penetrating the skin. Wow. So again, it's about there's you know not oh. all hyaluronic acid containing products are the same. Yeah. You have to be very careful and research it and decide, well, hang on, is this just containing true sodium uh, hyaluronic acid large molecules mm. that are going to be very temporary or is it sodium hyaluronate which will then be taken up by the yeah. skin? Yeah. Is it going to sit there and make me look beautiful for 25 minutes exactly. or is it going to affect the health of my skin? That's right. That's what we want. Are there any ingredients that don't pair well with ceramides? Not in no, not really, because Great. because ceramides are form a chemical that our skin cells make themselves. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's it's a naturally 
occurring molecule. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that I'd say, well, no, you shouldn't pair this with a with a ceramide. Uh, the generally, it's a good adjunctive to most skincare. Great. God, that makes it easy. Yeah. So we know what we should be looking for. Yeah. What are some of the things we should be avoiding? I imagine fragrance will be the yes. big one. Fragrances and a lot of preservatives yeah. are, are the, t- the top two. So when people suffer from dry skin, they inevitably have more sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. And sensitive skin will be easily irritable and irritated by fragrance and, and certain preservatives. So when you're choosing skincare for that skin type, it's about going basic and, um, and simple. Yeah. You know, so I think that less is more approach is really important. Mm. Um, other products that I'm just cautious about advocating are those that contain a whole lot of actives. So yes. the alpha hydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids, um, retinols, uh, certain types of vitamins like certain vitamin C products. It's not that they're necessarily the devil or they're bad. It's just you have to be very careful about when you use them and what you're pairing them with and what yeah. your skin type is. Mm-hmm. So it's... Jim, it's hard for me to make a specific recommendation that's, you know, don't use alpha-hydroxy acids because, no, we know that the evidence suggests they are good products. So it's about having a tailored uh, skincare regimen to you Mm. and your skin type and your skin needs. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people will blindly use uh, really well-advertised actives, but actually that's not necessarily the best for their skin problem. Yeah. So if someone comes in with acne, well, I'll be recommending certain actives that may complement a medicated treatment plan mm. versus someone who's coming in with pigment problems, you yeah. know, brown spots or the, and that like. So yeah. it has to be tailored, I think. I'm so glad you've mentioned that because I I think it's just knowing your skin as well and having yeah. an expert look at your skin and say, okay, this is the situation because I chop and change serums and actives mm. just based on what my skin needs on the yeah. day. So when someone says, what's your routine? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There are a few that stay the same, like the CeraVe yeah. stuff I come back to because I know what yeah. it's going to do. But while yeah. we're on actives, yeah. I think because a lot of us, myself included, are going through this weird time with our skin – ISO skin 2020, whatever we're gonna, <laughs> whatever we're naming it, people do instinctively reach for all of these really intense actives, yeah. and they think, okay, well, this has got you know X, Y, and Z in yeah. it. It's gonna solve all of my skin problems. Yeah. We end up oversensitizing the skin, Definitely. and then we're, I mean, we're worse off than being yeah. back to square one. Yeah. If we have accidentally oversensitized the skin, I've yeah. been there. How do we bring that balance back? Yeah, good question. So the first thing is to remember the two basic principles. So your soap-free cleanser and your basic moisturizer. Mm -hmm. Because the skin is actually pretty good at um, repairing itself. Great. If it's allowed to do that. And that, that statement, if it's allowed to do that, refers to removing all of the triggers that you Mm -hmm. know. So you're that active ingredient, that medicated product, that, um, that expensive serum that you purchased five weeks ago because, you know, it was sold and, you know, you were told it's going to solve all your problems. You have to stop those and just use your basic cleanser and moisturize. There's this concept that it takes three months for the skin barrier to fully repair itself. Okay. Yeah, so it's quite long. Now, that doesn't mean you'll be suffering with dry, sensitive, red, inflamed skin for three months, but actually it does take a long time to undo a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. You probably see improvement within the first two to four weeks if you simply oh, use yeah, if you simply use a good moisturiser and nothing else. Mm. 
once you've really got that level of control, it's about introducing products in a stepwise fashion. Right. So often we talk about this thing called the repeat open application test. So that's if you're not sure if a product, if you're allergic to a product mm-hmm. or a product is irritating you, you literally just apply it to the inner part of your upper arm, just um, ah. just above the crease, the yeah. arm crease, and you would apply it there twice a day for a full week. And just to see if you come up with a little red or irritated patch, it actually might mean that you're allergic to it wow yeah so it's called the repeat open application test and it's just a way of testing products yourself at home oh i love that yeah so just to see whether you may be allergic to it yeah god that's good advice yeah how can we so we want to strip it back yeah how can we calm our skin without sacrificing on things like anti-aging benefits i think a lot of people think oh god i'm taking the actives out of my routine I'm going to suffer in the long run. Yeah. So I, my favourite, or well, you're going to laugh because this is an active, but my favourite ingredient for this would be niacinamide or vitamin uh, yes, B3. that is my, yeah. Yeah. You're so speaking my language. Vitamin B3 or niacinamide has good evidence to show that it does many things in the skin, mm. including being anti-inflammatory. Yeah. All right. And products can contain percentages such as 2%. You can get serums made up right up to 10%. Mm-hmm. We think that closer to 10% would be good for anti-aging. Great. Um, so serums that contain, you know, a good percentage of, of niacinamide applied up to twice a day mm-hmm. can help be helpful over over months to years to be anti-aging. In the initial stages, you would only need lower concentrations to be anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and there are uh, there are products that will contain that the CeraVe range definitely has some niacinamide, yeah. but there are other ranges as well mm. that will contain a little bit of niacinamide as a nice anti-inflammatory, you know, and in, mm. I, again, I don't like using this word, but it is, it's a natural anti-inflammatory because it's, it is a vitamin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's generally what I would recommend. And if things are still not getting under control, that's when I'd suggest seeing um, a medical practitioner, either a general practitioner or a specialist dermatologist like myself uh, for medicated therapy to help help get that uh, level of information down more Mm. quickly. That's wonderful advice. Something that I was asked a lot about was if there is a cost-effective solution yep. to skin skin conditions, sorry, like dryness, sensitivity. God, yep. I'm just stumbling over all my <laughs> words now. I've learnt too much. Do we need to be, I know the answer to this one, do we need to be investing in high-end skincare to treat our skin conditions? I think that's probably one of the best questions that we've we've going to discuss all day because yeah. the the short answer is absolutely not mm-hmm. and i have a real problem with this because yeah. as you well know there are big department stores that will contain multiple different brands it's actually marketed at uh, primarily at women though mm-hmm. we're seeing more men also um, being targeted through uh, skincare apps and through social media as well yes uh, so it's not just women but the, the reality is that there's really no reason skincare should cost the earth. Mm. And the products that I generally recommend as a specialist dermatologist are not the ones that are you know, costing hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. The products that you can buy at good pharmacies can be as good, if not better, than what I call the department store brands. Yeah. All right. And and I and I explain to patients it's about being smart with where you spend your money. So why why would you spend you know a hundred plus dollars on this cleanser because it makes you feel momentarily better mm. when actually you're probably worthwhile 
buying a much cheaper cleanser and then putting a little bit more money into a good moisturiser um, or a good ac- active, th- active yeah. ingredient. So it's about picking and choosing where you spend that money, yeah. not just going blindly and saying, yes, I'm going to go for brands X, Y and Z because... They've got gold leaf in them and the bottle's exactly. going to look beautiful. And it smells amazing, yeah. you know. that That's a real... People often will be because it is. It's a sensory overload. We, we mm. can smell products and go, oh, that smells delicious. I'd almost like to eat it. It's yeah. so nice. But actually putting things that you want to eat on your face, not, not so ideal. Good. Not ideal. And, yeah, and expensive. Yeah. Really expensive. God, and light a candle if you want yeah. that sensory experience. <laughs> That's it. Mm. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I am a big believer that skincare shouldn't cost uh, the world. I think for the average Australian, particularly given the current climate. Yeah. We, we have to be really sensitive to the fact that, you know, you, you just can't afford the sorts yep. of products that you would you might have thought would benefit your skin. But the good news is that you don't need to. You don't mm. need to spend that money. Yeah, that's going to make a lot of people very happy. Yeah. Finally, what would be your number one top piece of advice for anyone looking to heal dry, irritated, irritated skin? Save your money and invest in a good evidence-based moisturiser that contains ceramides, Mm -hmm. some hyaluronic acid and maybe some small amount of niacinamide. These top three ingredients can be found in really good basic moisturisers and they're not going to cost you the earth. That was dermatologist Dr. Ryan DeCruz, who you can find at Malvern Dermatology, Caulfield Dermatology and Bayside Dermatology. You can learn more about CeraV at CeraV.com.au or on Instagram at CeraV underscore AU. To read this interview, you can visit GlowJournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at GemKWatts or at Glow.Journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.